is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Deep hooray! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. No Connor here today as he will have the call of this evening's ball game between the White Sox and Oakland Athletics at Guaranteed Rate Field tonight. First pitch coming your way at 610 right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight this afternoon and here to give you all the lowdown on the White Sox, your White Sox Feel free to give me a call today at 312-332-3776 if you've got a thought about the White Sox after dropping two straights. Last night's game, of course, very disappointing for Sox fans. A 7-3 loss to the A's at guaranteed rate opening the series where the White Sox were hopeful to bounce back from a rough loss in Colorado, a getaway day in Colorado at Coors Field on Thursday. They had, uh, On Wednesday, they had the day off on Thursday, of course, but uh, not able to bounce back last night. And it was a disappointing loss, and it wasn't just the results, but also the events on the field that unfolded. In the seventh inning, Tim Anderson did this. Here's a pitch to Anderson, and it's a strike. He got the high call, and Tim is right in the grill of Nick Marley. Tim thought that pitch was high. And he just got tossed. And Tim now get right in his face, and he bumped him. Oh, man. So Tony's got to get him. He's going to get suspended. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. So now they're separated, and Tony will chat with Marley. But it looked like there was some contact. I don't know if the helmet or a chest bump. I mean... I don't think he was trying to make contact, but he was trying to get close to him. But well, you can't touch the umpire. No, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You, you make contact with an umpire, you're going to get a lengthy suspension because of it. And that's something the game's not going to allow. Yeah, the frustration got the best of Tim Anderson there. And no doubt it was an unfortunate event. He was frustrated. I know there were some borderline calls earlier in the game. I believe it was actually to lead off the game in the first when Tim Anderson was not happy with some early calls and of course we see on first strike there Tim Anderson goes out and begins to argue and let the frustration get the best of him there and then you know encroaches upon the home plate ump and in that situation you have to know better you hear Lennon DJ on the call saying that any contact with an umpire is going to result in a suspension we are going to be awaiting that to see when that comes down don't expect word today of course it being a Saturday but of course I think we all know that Tim Anderson is likely to see at least a one game suspension wouldn't be surprised if it's two or three as a result of what happened last night and you heard Lennon DJ right there Jason Benetti and Steve Stone on the TV call had very similar thoughts you cannot allow that to happen in that situation and the leader of the White Sox you know again frustration got the best of him but it was certainly not going to fly, and Tony La Russa was asked about it in the postgame last night. This was his response. You don't allow a player to be emotional, and you just got a bunch of robots out here playing. That's not entertaining. 
You know, who went up bat bat, you know, I thought the pitches were questionable. He's fired up, you know, he's trying to do that's the way he plays. That's all the way they you're supposed to play. So I know I did I think I saw the umpire moving forward quite a bit. Which I know they're they're taught not to do that. I didn't see the, any contact. Part of their training is you got to let players be emotional as long as they don't get disrespectful or get vulgar. You don't want to blame the umpire. The umpires aren't robots either. You know they can get emotional, they can get upset, but they're you know, they're supposed to be the cooler head. Because if, if if you if you try to take the emotion out of the game, I mean it's, I mean it's not entertaining. No disrespect to any umpires that are out there. We know they're not trying to, you know, sway the game one way or another. But when, when you have a couple pitches like that that might have gone, you know, against him tonight, you know, sometimes you got to speak up. It, it might look like the bad guy, but, you know, it, it wasn't just him. I, I think there were a couple tonight that we had. I think Pito had a couple. Um, it's just voice and frustration for the whole team. And, and you know, Tony went back out and, and backed him up. But uh, like I said we got to come back tomorrow. All that's wiped away. Nothing, nothing affects tomorrow. So whole another day. White Sox second baseman Josh Harrison there after you heard Tony La Russa initially address Tim Anderson's ejection from the game and, again, likely suspension. I would be very surprised if uh, he finds a way to dodge that one. But it will. It, it's just tough because the White Sox really are struggling right now at 49-50, and 50, and a source of frustration for White Sox fans has been the fact that Whenever it seems like there could be a moment for this team to turn it on, and I felt like on Wednesday in Colorado, the opportunity was there to get something going. Lucas Giolito doesn't have a great opening to the game, but he trudges his way through, and the White Sox get back into the ballgame against Colorado only to have it unwind on them the way it did. Liam Hendricks not available for them in the ninth. Kendall Graveman struggling with his command in the ninth and ultimately watching the Rockies walk that one off was a disappointing way to end it. But then last night to have that unfold too. And Lance Lynn actually came out, pitched fairly well. And it was unfortunate to see uh, an error by Jose Abreu early in the game result in an opportunity for Steven Piscotty, who absolutely just seems to own everything Lance Lynn does right now. Uh, and Piscotty certainly struggling all season long. The only person he seems to be able to hit right now is Lance Lynn. And uh, he took he took Lance Lynn deep in the second after Jose Abreu can't squeeze the glove on a, a what should have been a routine ground out to end the inning. Yohan Mankata makes an, a very simple throw over, and Jose Abreu drops the ball, and certainly not something you expect from him. But it all seems to be culminating in issues for the White Sox in every which way they turn. And you have to wonder at this point, what can they do with the trade deadline lurking on Tuesday, 5 o'clock Central Time? What can the White Sox do and what should they do to try and find something to get this team going? They're certainly talented enough, as evidenced by the last two seasons, with the vast majority of players on the roster the same. They're certainly talented enough to go out and win this division, a division that quite frankly, is there for the taking. Minnesota and Cleveland, the Guardians, have both let the White Sox poor performance through, you know, just under 100 games here, this poor performance by the White Sox. They've allowed them to stick around. And I guess that's the optimistic approach if you're a White Sox fan, 
is that if the team can get back to the standard that they've set the last two seasons, you can be optimistic that this division is very winnable. And it certainly is for the White Sox with plenty of games against the Twins and Guardians down the stretch here in August and September. So they do, for the most part, have the opportunity for them, despite as poorly as they've played, they do have an opportunity if they can get back to a level that they've set for themselves, if they can get back to that, then the fortunate thing is that the AL Central is still very winnable, despite frustrating efforts that have come about the last couple of weeks. You thought once they, they did a nice job against the Twins and Guardians heading into the All-Star break that the White Sox might have an opportunity to finally turn things around. Now, the another optimistic point of view, way, to, way of looking at this, is that Johnny Cueto takes the hill tonight and he has, really, outside of Dylan Cease, been the White Sox's most consistent starter. And nobody thought that that would be the case as they approached the beginning of the season. No, nobody, honestly, I think, thought Johnny Cueto would be in the rotation as the season began. But when he got the opportunity, proved that he was up to snuff here. He's been nothing short of remarkable, and he will be the starter tonight for the White Sox as they hope to get things turned around for him Cueto is 4-4 four and four on the season with a 2.89 ERA, scheduled to make his 13th start tonight at home against Oakland. He'll be opposed by Pete Blackburn, the A's All-Star, a man who lots of White Sox fans were disgruntled about stealing a spot from what many people felt was an earned spot by Dylan Cease for the All-Star game. Paul Blackburn will be on the hill for the A's tonight, and listen, The rules of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game are that every team needs to have a representative, and Paul Blackburn was that man for the A's. Now, since he's been crushed in his first start since after the All-Star break, uh, bringing his season ERA to a 4.35, so he certainly is gettable for the White Sox tonight, and hopefully Johnny Cueto can be the man that he's been all season long, the stopper, if you will, to end this two-game streak and get the White Sox back to the winning ways and maybe set the table for Dylan Cease to do what he's done all year on Sunday afternoon when the White Sox wrap up their series against the Athletics. 312-332-3776. This is White Sox Weekly, your opportunity to weigh in on what you think about the White Sox so far, where they're at as they are still in third place in the American League Central but have an opportunity against the A's and Royals here the next few days to try and get things right. Last night did not start out in a positive manner, but again, with Cueto on the hill tonight, somebody who you've been able to count on for the most part, hopefully the White Sox can have the good mojo going and get things turned around here early on a Sunday, we'll call it Sunday evening, 6.15 first pitch. Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson will have your call. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly, 312-332-3776. As I mentioned, the trade deadline lurks. What should the White Sox do? What would you like to see them add? A left-handed power hitter? That seems like an obvious. Maybe some relief pitching help, especially with Joe Kelly having left uh, Wednesday's game with an injury. Maybe some relief help would be the way to go. Or perhaps you're of the mind that, you know what, you can never have too much starting pitching, and that would be the best spot for the White Sox to attack at Tuesday's trade deadline, 5 o'clock Central. So... Let's ask an MLB insider, or let's listen in on what an MLB insider had to say. Jeff Passan joined Cap and Jay Hood earlier this week. I'll let you hear what he had to say coming up next. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, filling in for Connor McKnight today here on White Sox Weekly as Connor has the call along with Darren Jackson. First pitch, 6-15, coming your way from Guaranteed Rate Field. White Sox taking on the A's for Game 2 of this three-game set. Sox fans, join us for the Southside Mondays presented by United Airlines this Monday, August 1st. Every Monday home game, watch the Sox rep the Southside jerseys and honor small businesses making an impact on the South Side. Each South Side Monday ticket includes up to $20 in concession credit added to your mobile ticket. To purchase, visit whitesox.com slash Mondays. All right, so the MLB trade deadline looms on Tuesday, 5 o'clock Central Time here. And the question is, the White Sox seem to have a few holes right now that they could clearly address. And so, what should they be addressing? Well, ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan joined ESPN 1000's Cap'n J. Hood earlier this week and addressed that very issue. Here's the problem with the White Sox going out and making a splash. Uh, and this is the conversation cap that's being had in a number of front offices around baseball right now. This is what the Baltimore Orioles are talking about. This is what the Boston Red Sox are talking about. This is what the Philadelphia Phillies are talking about. This is what the San Francisco Giants are talking about. They are all middling teams. They are all right around, if not at 500. And in the White Sox case, if you're Rick Hahn right now, you look not just at the division, which I think is eminently winnable, like with the talent that, that the Sox have, they could take the American League Central, period. But can they beat the Astros? Can they beat the Yankees? Can they beat the Blue Jays? Can they beat the Mariners and Rays? When you get to October, this White Sox team, to me, is as it's currently constituted, not built to win. Um, the bullpen is a problem, and they don't hit enough home runs. And that's, right now, in modern baseball, what it takes to win a world championship. You need to hit bombs, and you need to have a bullpen that is deep enough to survive three series in October. And uh, honestly, I, I just, you know, sometimes four series. And I just don't know if that's the Sox right now. And even if they do make upgrades, whether that's the Sox then. You can see the home runs coming. Like, that's there. That's possible. But uh, you don't have a lot to give up in terms of going out and being competitive in, you know, fighting 15 other teams that are looking for elite pitchers. The Sox farm system, uh, you know, you're not going to see Oscar Colas. You're not going to see Colson Montgomery go for a reliever, a rental reliever. I mean, maybe if you're trading for a guy who has, um, you know, who has club control. But uh, I, I don't know if the Sox are in a great position. Yeah, let me let me expand on that. I, first of all, you need home runs from left-handers. They don't have that. Second of all, I agree 100%. Their solution isn't coming August 2nd. Their best players have to be peak performers for the next couple, three months for them to win it all. It's not happening between now and next Tuesday. Well, you would have said at, that about at, the Braves last year, and they got Jock Peterson in the freaking World Series MVP. I, I love when it happens once a decade. Everybody so everybody points yeah, to that one, one moment in time that it works. 
Exactly. It's, it's not happening between now and August 2nd. Like, they made those trades also because they had injuries. The, the, the Sox actually are getting healthy. Their best players have to be their best players to give it, have a chance. You know what I would do? Add Michael Givens, add a lefty because Bummer's been out, and you go to, you go to battle with, with the group you have. You built this team not to, not to make all these changes come August 2nd. You need to add some things. If you, didn't, if you need a lefty now, you needed one in March, and you should have gone out and gotten Kyle Schwarber. Trying to fix it now is not going to happen. Anybody? That's about right. I'm sitting here nodding. I know it doesn't make for great radio, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's about right. Okay, let me ask you a question. If, if you were Mike Rizzo and you were convinced you're not going to hang on to Juan Soto and Rick Hahn called you and said, Michael Kopech, Andrew Vaughn, Oscar Colas, Colson Montgomery. And, and maybe even Eloy. No. No? no? <laughs> Those four. Are you biting? No. You can get better elsewhere. Yeah, because you can get better prospects elsewhere, right? I mean, Vaughn and Kopech are good, but you want two to three double or triple-A guys that are can't miss or close to it, right? Yeah, and, and listen, Vaughn is, Vaughn is very good, I think, but... He's also a corner outfielder, first baseman, DH. Um, if I'm trading Juan Soto, I want near-term, up-the-middle power arms. Um, you know, I just uh, – sorry, Cap, the Sox don't have what it takes to go and get him. I just if, they you... Tim a- if they trade Tim Anderson, maybe, but you know that's not happening. And, of course, that was all prior to Tim Anderson – bumping the ump last night with a suspension looming over him. Of course, not that that would in any way prohibit a potential trade, a, a, a game or two suspension. But interesting that Passon raises the idea that unless the White Sox would be willing to give up Tim Anderson, they would not have enough to necessarily land Juan Soto from the Nats there. And I don't know if I buy that completely. First of all, I don't think the Nats rebuilding are looking for Tim Anderson to be the centerpiece of any type of deal. If they're trading off Juan Soto, Juan Soto is 23 and of course is uh, an elite middle of the order hitter. If not the best left-handed hitter in all of baseball right now. And now that the Nats have come to grips with shopping him around and potentially trading him, I don't believe that Tim Anderson would really be, a name that would be super interesting to them. I actually disagree with Passon there when he says, you know, Vaughn's a you know a corner outfielder, Aloy's a corner corner outfielder. I do think if the White Sox truly wanted to be involved in the Juan Soto trade talks, they could make a deal enticing enough for Mike Rizzo to at least strongly consider it, and it would start with probably Aloy and Andrew Vaughn and, you know, Colson Montgomery would be a part of that. And then the question would be, you know, Kopech would probably have to be that other piece. Now, that's three major league players, three young major league players who are all under your control for a few more years. You know, uh, Eloy signed to a team-friendly deal for multiple years to come here. So I do think if the White Sox wanted to be in that game, they could be. But the question would be, if you're trading for Juan Soto and you're giving up significant pieces off your major league roster, would you be able then to compete or would you just be essentially running in place? And I think what was brought up earlier in that sound 
when Jeff Passan and Jesse Rogers, who was on Cap and Jay Hood, who will actually join us in about a little over an hour from now to give us the latest on what's going on around the Major League Baseball at the trade deadline as it approaches on Tuesday. Jesse pointed out, I think, which is the biggest point. The White Sox, if they get back to their level, the expectation that a lot of these players have played at in the past, I think they have enough. And you again, I mentioned it earlier, the AL Central is there for the taking. The Cleveland Guardians, who some actually are most fearful of in the division, more so than the Twins, because the Twins are really struggling with their pitching staff these days. The Cleveland Guardians have already lost to the Rays today. The White Sox remain three games back of the Twins. Twins play tonight in San Diego. White Sox have their opportunity with the first pitch coming your way at 6.15 at guaranteed rate to actually do some damage. So I think what we heard there from some plugged-in baseball insiders, Passin, Jesse Rogers, the White Sox need to be better, and they need to be better with what they currently have on the roster. And they can make some moves around the edges and I think make themselves put themselves in better opportunity. But there's a stark difference between the Major League Baseball regular season and the postseason. I'd like to expound on that. And I've also got a White Sox starting lineup for you. And Ozzie Guillen had a suggestion for how he thinks the starting lineup should be handled. I'll share all of that with you coming up next. But first, let's pause 10 seconds for a legal ID on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor Knight today. Connor's got your call of White Sox and A's alongside Darren Jackson coming your way 6.15 tonight. Live from Guaranteed Rate Field. And we were just talking about the trade deadline approaching and what exactly the White Sox plan should be. Should they go hard after a a left-handed power hitter, which I think a lot of fans and people around baseball have thought is probably the biggest weakness on the White Sox, although maybe not necessarily shared by everybody inside the White Sox organization. Some, I think, believe that the right-handed hitters and some of the splits that they show convey a team that actually can have more success against right-handed pitchers, and we'll see if that's the case. I don't think adding a a left-handed hitter to the roster would be a bad idea, but is it as pressing as potentially needing some more reliever help as every baseball team seems to need help with these days as as you approach the playoffs, or perhaps you'd like to see the White Sox go after a starter. Now, that to me seems like the one point where I would argue pretty vehemently against the idea of going after a starting pitcher um, and basically anything more than a guy who would be someone who might be able to give you some innings here or there, maybe uh, get you through a, you know, a, a, ro- uh, a run in the rotation once or twice just to give some of the guys in the ro- current rotation a rest and maybe give you a little bit of you know, injury help. But the reality is I don't think a starting pitcher is necessarily the way to go here. It seems like a, a left-handed power hitter and uh, some relieving help would be where the White Sox would be best served. But let's see what you think. Let's go on out to the southwest side and say hello to Jim, who's on White Sox Weekly with Jeff Miller. What's going on, Jim? 
Good to talk to you, sir. My pleasure. Let me say that I pretty much agree with everything that was said in that recorded interview. Here's what I think Rick Hahn and White Sox management are going to have to take into consideration if you're going to talk about Soto and what it would take to get them. You know, unless Rick Hahn and the rest of Manifit believe that the White Sox have a realistic chance of advancing, not just getting to the playoffs, but advancing and, uh, you know, getting somewhere, then the question becomes how much of your morg- how much of your future do you want to mortgage to get Soto? How much does it hamstring you in uh, making deals in the offseason to really advance the team to the next step? It's a fair question, Jim, and I think that's why most Sox fans who are looking at this realistically and just the fact that Juan Soto, you know, I've heard Buster only in broadcast call Juan Soto the best young hitter of, ever to be made available since Babe Ruth on the trade market. Now, you know, the truth is that might be a little bit hyperbolic, but when you really start to think of 23-year-old hitters who you know, haven't even entered the prime of their career, you start to say, well, you know what? He may not be incorrect here because it's hard to think of somebody who's ever been as good as Juan Soto is at their stage of their career who has been made available on the trade market. So your point, Jim, you know, yeah, what what would the White Sox have to give up realistically to even be in the talks? And I, I believe it starts with Aloy and Vaughn and Colson Montgomery and probably, you know, I think the, the – I don't think any White Sox fan has the appetite to even stomach talking about the idea of trading Dylan Cease. Now, I have no doubt the Nats would start the conversation and they would want it to be centered around Dylan Cease. But I think if you're the White Sox at this point, you've seen enough from Dylan Cease to know that he is right now the ace of the staff and the guy you think can be the ace of the staff for plenty of years to come. So an ace pitcher is basically a non-starter in baseball because that's the most valuable thing to obtain. So I don't think the White Sox have the appetite to do that. So then the question would be, would Kopech be in the conversation if you're also giving up two or three premium bats who are at the major league level? And then, oh, by the way, one of your top prospects or your top prospect in Colson Montgomery, you know, and and that's to your point, Jim, is that mortgaging the future too much to even be in the conversation for Juan Soto? I say at this point, it probably is, even though I would love the idea of having Juan Soto's left-handed bat in the middle of your order. Again, the order changes quite a bit if you take Aloy and Vaughn out of the lineup. And then another name that I have not even mentioned yet who I should give an update regarding is Luis Robert. Now, Luis Robert would obviously be uh, the guy who a lot of teams would have a... They would be clearly in the market to uh, find a way to get their hands on any way possible, right? However... Right now, Luis Robert is not available, and not just to the point where we know he was held out what was reported as cold symptoms of his uh, AAA Charlotte stint, but we are now getting word from the White Sox that Luis Robert is still not feeling well. He will not play the next two days. That means today and Sunday, and they're planning to provide another update on Luis Robert on Monday. So the fact that There's still no clarity in regards to the blurriness, you know, the vision. Now, I don't know if we're going to hear. I I mean, I guess I would say I'm skeptical that we're going to hear on Monday that it's just a cold that held him out. I think we're probably leaning towards this being an issue and 
no real clarity just yet to what's ailing him. And that's, of course, very scary. But that also means that as the trade deadline approaches, no team is going to give anybody full value for a player who they're unsure what he's dealing with right now. Now, you know, I'm hopeful and optimistic that this will, once the White Sox get to the bottom of what is Luis Roberts' issue, they'll be able to figure it out. But the truth is that until they have some sort of clarity regarding it, it's going to be very hard to even have a conversation about someone like Luis Robert in trade talks. And again, the only reason you would even bring his name up is if you were considering being in the Juan Soto Derby, which again, I don't think the White Sox really truly are, but it seems like any team that has designs on a deep playoff run likes to dream. Their whole fan base likes to dream about the idea of just going ahead and obtaining Juan Soto and dropping him right into your lineup, into the heart of your lineup. And, of course, you would be a better team for it if you can make that deal. But, again, I just don't think the White Sox uh, are set up to do that right now where they are as an organization. And it especially doesn't help the way they're playing right now as a team. You'd like to be above 500 if you're going to go make a huge move like that. I mentioned the White Sox lineup is out. Tonight, for your 615 first pitch at Guaranteed Rate Field, the White Sox will lead off Tim Anderson, playing shortstop, of course. Hitting second, playing third base, Yohan Mankata. Playing center field and batting third will be A.J. Pollock. Your cleanup hitter tonight, Jose Abreu, playing first base. Doing the catching and hitting fifth will be Yasmani Grandal. DHing tonight, hitting sixth will be Eloy Jimenez. Back in the lineup, hitting seventh and playing left field will be Andrew Vaughn. Of course, hitting eighth and in right field will be your lefty, Gavin Sheets. Rounding out the lineup, hitting ninth will be your second baseman, Josh Harrison, with, of course, Johnny Cueto on the mound in opposition of the A's starting pitcher tonight. Blackburn, of course, the all-star essentially in, you know, I, I hate to diminish it, but if, uh, if, if Pete Blackburn pitched for any, uh, I'm sorry, Paul Blackburn, if Paul, I, I don't, I think I've called him Pete twice now, Paul Blackburn has if he pitched for any other team in baseball, I do believe he would not be an all star. So he's just, but he was fortunate enough to be the best player on a bad A's team and a bad A's team that beat the White Sox last night. So a bit alarming. Hopefully the White Sox can get back to some winning ways. And again, the uh, the positive spin on everything, of course, is that hey, nobody in this division is doing anything to put themselves in position to put their opposition in the rearview mirror. So as long as that's the case, the opportunity for the White Sox is going to be there if they could just get back to playing at that level that we've seen from them the last couple seasons. All right, I mentioned earlier, there's the White Sox lineup tonight. Ozzie Guillen on last night's postgame show on NBC Sports Chicago talked about how he would approach it right now with the lineup in particular because, listen, for the most part, the White Sox are running out of time. I have to wait to see how they're going to show up. And I yeah. think it's time for them to say, you know, put the glove on yeah. and let's go. Everybody, everybody, yeah. he had to go to Tony Russo's clubhouse. Say, like, Tony, come here. I need to talk to you. Or Tony, go to the place and listen, guys, no more day off for no one. Everybody had to play like Jose Abreu. Mm-hmm. The only way I'm not going to play you is you are an I.L. They launch you there. I think you're young enough. I think this thing is good enough to make sure those guys had to be there every day, no matter what it takes, and regardless what happened. Because it's not, I don't see it. They yeah. do it. But somebody had to tell Tony, or Tony had to tell them, yep. say, man, from now on, we have, what, 80 games left? 
We Less play, than 80. We play, and after we take the lead, dang, I get a day off. So there you go, White Sox fans. Ozzy Guillen would like to see a more regular, everyday lineup from Tony La Russa going forward. And I guess looking over, for the most part, I think we're pretty close to seeing what uh, Ozzy's talking about here. Of course, Louis, with Luis Robert not currently available, he the lineup looks you know a little bit less than what it has been in the past. But outside of that absence, for the most part, with uh, Yohan Mankata hitting better, you know, over the last I'd say you know almost the last month or so, Yohan Mankata has really get, gotten back to being closer to the player that we've you know really kind of fallen in love with as White Sox fans over the past few years ago so it's good to see him back in the lineup you know Jose what the truth is all these names look great on paper you need to see a little bit more pop though the reality is they are not hitting enough home runs and this goes back to what Jeff Passan and Jesse Rogers were mentioning in the sound we played earlier it's very difficult to win baseball games in this era if you're not going to be amongst the best in baseball hitting home runs. It's very difficult to string together two and three hits, two and three singles, and drive in runs that way. It's just so difficult with the strikeout rate still, you know, at a a, a very ridiculous rate. I know it's not at the all-time high that it was last year, but the truth is it's still very difficult to string together back-to-back hits and produce runs that way. Of course, anybody who's grown up loving this game has has an appreciation for that. But also, the stark reality is that it's very difficult to do that these days on a consistent basis. And so, you need to see more from your big thumpers in the lineup. And that, you know, Jose Abreu, even though he's hitting right around 300, you'd like to see a little more power from him. And, of course, he's amongst the league lead, uh, the team leaders in home runs, Jose Abreu is. So, you know, when you need more from Grandal, you need more from Aloy, you need Andrew Vaughn actually to turn some of those doubles into home runs, that would be nice. Now, he's certainly a young player who I think, you know, you want to give them, give him the proper time to develop and not expect too much, but I think it's in there, and it would be nice to see him find that power stroke a little more often. I think all of that would go a great deal to helping the White Sox turn this season around. And again, I'll put the positive spin on it and say the truth is you're three games back as August 1st approaches You've got the trade deadline on Tuesday. And so the opportunity still sits for the White Sox to make what has been to this point a very frustrating season for their for their fan base. The opportunity still remains for them to get hot at the right time and attack playoff baseball, which I mentioned I find to be in some ways a bit of a different ballgame than what you'd go through. The, the grind of the regular season is in some ways about survival. And I think the White Sox maybe can take that tactical approach. They have survived to this point. They haven't been eliminated from the division race. It's still there for the taking. So if they can get right, they can actually go on a run and get themselves in position. And I think if you talk about playoff baseball and you look at the White Sox rotation, the potential to line up Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Lance Lynn, if he can find himself, Lucas Giolito again, if he can get back to pitching a little bit more consistently to the guy he's been at in different years, if you can go with those four and also, oh, by the way, have Johnny Cueto in your back pocket as an option, if he can continue to pitch the way he has this year, you've got a five-man rotation that very few teams can say they have. They can throw out better than. And if that's the case heading into the playoffs, you're going to have a chance. 
The truth is, though, that during the regular season, the White Sox need to find a way to score more runs, hit more home runs, and win more ball games just to get them in that spot. Now, there's been teams, the Cardinals, who won a World Series winning 83 regular season games. Can the White Sox be that version? I think with the talent on the roster, it's not out of the question. And, hey, I think we'd all say you get us 83 wins, get to the playoffs, and make a deep run, this season can still finish off and be very rewarding and fulfilling if you can do that. Now the White Sox have to go to work and, again, see what, see what they can do if they can actually play to the level that they're capable of doing. I mentioned the trade deadline right around the corner. There has been some moves in the past couple days, including a big piece who is changing cities and quite possibly not the city that most people expected. An ace heading to the American League. I'll tell you who next. A little green day for you, getting you set for... Uh, one of the headliners at Lollapalooza uh, inside the city of Chicago here as we broadcast from the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today, and the city is definitely uh, a bit more busy than usual on a Saturday. And, of course, it oftentimes is busy on a Saturday, but with Lollapalooza going on and Green Day right there, you heard they will be, uh, I believe, on stage on Sunday. Uh, a lot more hustle and bustle around the city here today, so uh, definitely a festive atmosphere in the downtown area and around the park, guaranteed rate field. August 6th is International Trading Card Day, and Tops wants you to celebrate with you. Visit your participating local hobby shop where you will receive a free pack of cards plus a special card if you purchase $10 or more of Tops. Products while supplies last, post your packs on social media using the hashtag TOPSITCD and follow along with at Tops. Visit Tops.com for more information. I'm Jeff Miller here on White Sox Weekly, and I mentioned an ace coming to Chicago. I'm sorry, an ace moving to the American League, not coming to Chicago. I apologize. Don't want to get White Sox fans too excited here. But last night, the Seattle Mariners, who find themselves in the thick of the playoff race right now, have their uh, eyes set on a potential wild card, if not division, although it seems like that might be a bit ambitious with the Houston Astros playing the way they've played so far, but the Seattle Mariners didn't let them, they, didn't, they did not let that stop them from going out and adding an ace. And that ace, of course, is former Cincinnati Reds hurler Luis Castillo, who is now going to be playing his games in Seattle in a package that included four prospects headlined by Seattle Mariners number 12, uh, the 12th best prospect, Noel V. Marte, shortstop, a lot of of tools, uh, five-tool player. Uh, Marte is the headliner along with three other prospects who will be heading to the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for Luis Castillo, who plenty of people kind of assumed was more than likely going to be pitching in the Bronx for the New York Yankees, but the Mariners up the ante and were able to get that deal done. And so the New York Yankees are left still looking around for a possible starting pitcher because that seems to be their big weakness as they head to the deadline. And, oh, by the way, we have to stop. I know this is White Sox Weekly, but I have to stop and make note because any baseball fan right now, I think 
cannot deny that if you're following along, just even casually, right, what Aaron Judge is doing on a day-to-day basis is absolutely insane. And oh, by the way, he's homered yet again today. You may have missed it because it was Friday night, but he homered twice last night. He also robbed a home run to start the game. So he's hitting home runs. He's robbing the opposition of home runs. And he's doing it at an insane pace. His home run today was his 42nd on the season. He has 91 RBIs right now. And that is partially because he had six last night. He's got two today. Like I said, he has 42 home runs. We're not even not even in August yet. And at this pace right now, he's projected to hit 67 home runs. He's pacing for 67 home runs. And I know that the home run chase, it's been in some ways diminished. Like we used to get this every year where we'd focus in on the home run leader's pace. And, you know, it'd be like, oh, he's on, he, he's, he's over, he's going to hit 50 this year. And that used to mean something. And then, of course, the late 90s and early 2000s completely redefined and changed the way that we probably follow along the home run chase nowadays because, of course, McGuire, Sosa, Bonds, smashing all the record books, of course, with uh, the aid of, the likely aid of plenty of performance-enhancing drugs. And so that era completely, I think, at least for me, has changed the way that people have talked about guys having ridiculous seasons. And what it's taken is a monumental effort, I think, by Aaron Judge for someone to finally, or at least for me, to finally stop and take notice and say, my God, this guy is pacing for 67 home runs. And listen, I understand that when you project out and you say, you know, he's on pace for, oftentimes a guy will hit a slump and they may not live up to that actual projection. But to be closing in on August and be at a pace where, you know, over 60 seems pretty likely right now. And then not only just over 60, but potentially, potentially have 70. You know, if you get hot, you catch a heater, although he's on one of the heaters of all time heaters right now, having hit nine home runs in his last 10 games. I mean, that's an absolute ridiculous rate. And so it's just caused me to stop and take notice right now here. It is White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's our pleasure to welcome in. White Sox outfield uh, outfielder, and I was talking about a man who just robbed a home run last night. It's perfect to have this man on. Adam Engel joins us here to tell us what it's like to rob a home run. Adam, I was just talking about the stupid things that Aaron Judge is doing right now. Like, every time I, I look at the box score, my eyes pop out of my head because I'm like, he did it again. He homered again. He homered twice again. And last night, he even robbed a home run. What's it like for you? What's better? Hitting a home run or robbing a home run? Oh, man. Um, first of all, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Um, I would say whatever the team needs more at the time, you know. Um, probably for a guy like Aaron Judge, he hits so many home runs uh-huh. that, you know, for him, maybe he enjoys robbing the home run more because it doesn't happen as much. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing there. But, you know, I I personally like robbing home runs probably a little bit more. Um just because it helps your your pitcher out, you know, multiple people are benefiting. Um, you know, it's 
it's a lot of it's a it's a huge energy shift in the game. Um, but you know, you, you can't really go wrong doing either one of them. That's for sure. No, that's a great point. I love that the uh, the, the the teammate aspect. Actually, it's not just that it's uh, your personal stats, but your pitcher man can uh, give you a tip of the cap whenever you make a great catch. That's a that's a great point there. Adam Angle joining us here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. All right, Adam. So Lollapalooza's going on. It's basically taking over the city now. I have to guess because of your job. I think I know the answer to this, but I at least have to ask: Have you ever attended Lollapalooza? I've never been to a Lollapalooza event. Has it? Have you ever been? Have you ever looked around and said to yourself, "Man, if I didn't have a season that I was in the midst of, I'd love to attend that"? Or are you not necessarily a concert festival type of guy? Um, I'm not necessarily, you know, going out of my way to look for, you know, concert or festival. But I do. I've been to some concerts and I really enjoy them. So, you know, things lined up, and you know, my wife and I could get babysitters. We would definitely, you know, if there's a, an artist that was playing. I think we would we'd jump at the chance to go. What's your favorite concert memory? One that you've attended, Adam? Favorite concert memory? Goodness. What's the best um, concert you've ever been to? There's got to be one that stands out for you. Um, you know, way back in high school, I got to go to a Kid Cudi concert. Um, you know, he was, I'm from Ohio. He's from Cleveland, so I got to drive up. I don't remember exactly where we were at. I think we are somewhere kind of in the middle, probably closer to... Um, Actually, I think we were in maybe downtown Cincinnati, and me and a bunch of my high school friends and my now wife at the time, she was my girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, got me tickets for my birthday, so we got to go. We all went, had a had a really good time. Um, and then Kid Cudi, you know, kind of went on to be a, um, you know, really some some really good music after that. So it was it was a fun concert. There you go, man. You were uh, in pursuit of happiness there, right? So it worked yeah. out. <laughs> exactly. um, Adam Angle joining us here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. All right, Adam. So you mentioned there uh, hanging out with your high school friends. You were a pretty good football player in high school as well. I have to ask you, have you ever, do you ever play uh, fantasy football? I do not. I, I think I did one time, okay. and that's it. So I, I haven't done it since, I want to say I was in rookie ball at the time. So. Okay. I was just curious because Jock Peterson's making headlines. He's basically spun off the uh, Tommy Pham Mike Trout controversy into an endorsement deal. He uh, he just today actually invited anybody who wants to join one of his fantasy leagues with a sponsor. So I just figured I'd uh, hit you up with that just in case. But no worries. Uh, fantasy football, you know what it is. It, it turns out it's, it ends up being more frustrating than actually fun when all is said and done. But I digress. All right. So to talk about frustrating for a little bit here, how do you approach uh, what happened last night when you go back inside the clubhouse and TA has been ejected? Anything you can do to break the ice for TA or you just kind of give him his, him his space and let him be? Um, yeah. I mean, in a, in a situation like that, like obviously we're, we're in the heat of the moment. We're, we're trying to win. Um, at that particular time in the game, we were trying to come back. Um, obviously TA is, is one of the, um, you know, most explosive players in our offense and he's trying to get something going there. And, um, you know, he felt like the umpire had missed a call and, um, you know, we all, we've all been there. We all have felt that frustration. Um, you know, so after the game, it's, you know, he's, he's in the, in the clubhouse. He's a good teammate. So it's not like he's, you know, doing something that's, you know, kind of disconnected from the team. He was right there and waiting for us to all come in. And, um, you know, we all, we all have his back for sure. You know, I, I think, like I said, there's, there, there may be other situations where 
somebody might need their space or whatever, but, you know, TA's a team team first guy. So he was there watching the game, seeing how things played out. Um, you know, obviously rooting for us to come back in that situation. So um, he was right there. You know, he was frustrated. You know, we, we got to, to hear kind of what he said about the about the player, about the instance. And, um, you know, now we just we move on and, and, and try and win tonight. Adam Engel joining us here on White Sox Weekly. All right, Adam, I think the move is almost 24 hours later now. He's had time to kind of blow off some steam, let it go. I think you go up to him today and you say to him, hey, man, I got 10 bags. You got 12. You better not let me catch you. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the move. You need, to, you need to challenge him and say, I'm coming for the stolen base team lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, go up to him and, 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 try and try and get his mind off of it, I guess, through, through trying to steal bases. Yeah, that's something that, uh, you know, we, we – very, very low key. I think kind of keep a pulse on the whole stolen base thing, just because you know it's it's something that's fun and competitive between between guys that are you know base dealers. There's not a whole lot of base dealing um, players out there still, you know. Yeah. So the fact that you know both of us steal bases, and you know he's a, he's been a little bit more prolific than I have been um, in years past. So. Um, you know, I might might say something to him, but most of the time, you know, we're we're trying to be smart and pick our spots to steal. We got a lot of guys in this line that that can drive us in, even if we're standing on first base. So, um, you know, it's fun to talk about, but it's not necessarily something that we're you no, know, we're, gonna, we're gonna push too hard for. It's a great point, Adam Engel, joining us here on White Sox Weekly. How front offices and across baseball, it's been going on for you know almost twenty years now. So, for the basically the entirety of your career at least at the major league level, where there's been, you know, the emphasis on, sure, you can steal a base, you just better not get caught, right? Because the reality is that everybody knows that home runs and being on base, that's how you drive it, how you're able to drive in some runs with the guys on base. You can't make those outs on the base path. But I, I, I'm, how's it been growing up in this environment where, you know, maybe in high school, you know, it was always, you, you could do it just based on your sheer athleticism. But then when you get to the major league level, there is the emphasis that, like, you can't go unless you know you, you basically got it. Is that something that, you know, for you was a hard adjustment to make? Or, listen, I guess you don't get caught very often, so you seem to know your way around the bases. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a different game. Um, when I was in college, you know, I had, a, I had a head coach at the University of Louisville that was extremely aggressive when it came to base dealing. So, um, you know, I, I came from that play style into pro ball, and then once I got – you know, the pro ball in the minor leagues, especially at the lower levels, um, Doug Sisson was our um, base stealing or I guess just base running coach in general um, throughout the minor leagues, and he was extremely aggressive. And then you get to kind of the upper upper level minor leagues, and then even in the big leagues, it's a different mindset. It's okay, you've had a lot of time to develop and and get good at the actual you know part of stealing the base. Now let's learn the situation when you should run, when it's okay to make an out, when, when it, you know, you're, you're just trying to be aggressive right here. If you get thrown out, it's okay. Um, or here's a situation where you better be safe. If you got something on the pitcher, it's okay to go, but you just can't get thrown out, can't get picked off. So you just kind of learn that. And then obviously your manager as well kind of dictates what kind of running style you guys have as a team. And, um, you just learn your manager a little bit, apply, you know, what their philosophies are. And um, at the end of the day, we're all pulling from the same rope. So, um, you know, I, I feel like stealing bases can lead to, to runs scored. And, you know, if you got an offense that might be struggling a little bit, maybe it's time to be a little bit more aggressive on the bases. And if you got an offense that's swinging it really well, you don't really need to be as aggressive on the bases. So, um, you know, there's a lot to it. And 
Um, it's very, very situational. Um, but I will definitely agree with you that at the, the big league game right now, there's there's less stolen bases. It's not as much of a part of the game as it has been, you know, coming out for sure. So does any part of you kind of get a little excited because there's been talk about potentially increasing the sizes of the bags next season so that it'll actually be a shorter distance. Has any part of you, uh, have you allowed any part of yourself to kind of daydream about the possibility of having an even better opportunity to steal bases next year if they institute that rule? I like that rule for a couple different reasons, I think, and that's definitely one of them. Um, you know, not having to, to run as far to be safe is awesome, I think, you know, I think the stolen base is an exciting part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it, it leads to a lot of offense or not, or a lot of run production or not, um, it's an exciting part of the game, and I, you know, I enjoy being able to do that. So any advantage that I can get, I'm all for. And then obviously the injury side of things, I think is it just makes a lot of sense. We have a really, especially first baseman in general, there's a lot of big people playing first base and they got, you know, size 14 shoe and we got, you know, I don't know what the size of the base is, but it's not that big. And so it's just from, from an injury standpoint, it just makes a lot of sense to, to get the, the bases a little bit bigger and um, keep guys healthier. And, and then obviously, you know, if I can get a couple more bases, that's, it's all in, all in good, good fun. So. White Sox speedster and outfielder Adam Angle joining us here on White Sox Weekly. All right, so I said outfielder there because obviously you, you play such a crucial role defensively. You're outstanding in center. You're outstanding in right. When you're in left, occasionally you're great there as well. For you, does it? do you have a preference to playing center field or you're just like, you know what, get me out there and I'll make a play? Yeah, um, it's funny you know, somebody was talking about the lineup today and where they were batting in the lineup, and a coach had mentioned something, and he's like, well, it's better than batting 10th. So um, just kind of making a joke at it. It's better to be in the lineup than not be in the lineup there. So, you know, any way I can help, man, I'm excited. I, I will say I've, I've got a love for center field. That's what I've played most of um, throughout my career, and it's it's just a different way to watch the game. You get to see the, the ball go into the zone, you know, better there than, than any other position on the field outside of pitcher, you know, mm-hmm. so you might even have a better view than they do because they're, you know, jerking, you know, their head around and, and all that. So um, it's a fun way to watch the game. Um, you get to anticipate a little bit more. Um, so I I enjoy center field more than, than the corners, but, you know, if I can help the team on the corners, um, you know, I, I love playing outfield in general. So, um yeah, if that answers your question. Yeah, it seems like, you know, virtually every major league player, because they are such great athletes and they have, you know, uh, just a natural talent for the game at a young age. Most major league players, oftentimes you'll hear, you know, they start out when they were in little league and high school playing shortstop. At what point were you transitioned to the outfield and did you basically know that this, that, that was your position for the future? Uh, yeah, so I went into to college as a shortstop, um, and I had I had shoulder surgery in high school from a football injury, actually. And um, once I got to, to school my first semester there, um, I couldn't throw. I was still on a throwing program, so it was hard for me to, to really compete at the, the infield level, um, making all those throws, you know, that's a huge part of your evaluation as a player or as an infielder is how well you can throw the ball, especially from shortstop. And so we kind of finished up the first semester, and um, the coaches brought me into the office and said, you know, 
you're not going to win the starting job at shortstop. Um, so you can either back up, maybe play second or back up our second baseman, who at the time was an All American the year before, um, or you can try and learn the outfield. We got an opening in the outfield, and you can come back and compete for a starting job in, in center field. So obviously, I was like, all right, yeah, that's what I want to do. You know, any way to get on the field. So um, at that point, it, it took me a little while to get used to it out there. Um, you know, got some funny stories about um, you know some some things that you know, some growing pains, I guess you, you could say, and, um, you know, eventually fell in love with it and never went back to the infield. Okay, you can't uh, tease a radio audience, Adam, slipping. I've got some <laughs> funny stories, and that give us at least one quick anecdote. So what's, like, the most foolish you ever felt making the transition or give us a funny story if, that you can relay? Um, there was, you know, I was out, you know, doing some work um, with, with our manager's, at the time, they called them managers in, in uh, college, basically guys that kind of help around the field. They, you know, maybe hit fungos or whatever the case may be. We had a, a machine that would shoot fly balls, and I hadn't had an outfield glove yet. Um, so I'm, I'm using my infield glove, and it was a middle infield glove, so it's pretty small. Uh-huh. And they're just shooting fly balls, and I'm like kind of like I, I dropped a couple, and then it kind of turned into like, man, if I really get underneath these things and I keep dropping them, maybe one's going to hit me in the head. And <laughs> so it just turned into a zoo, like just me out there. These guys are shooting fly balls. We have turf at Louisville. Balls are bouncing all over the place. I'm like, it, it, it just turned into a very slippery slope. If you could have seen, you know, me on that day, you would have been like, this kid's never going to catch a fly ball in a game. Like he can't even catch a ball off a machine where he knows it's going to land and, and all that, and my managers are just laughing and think it's hilarious that, you know, it just went from bad to worse. But, um, you know, unfortunately, that was that was a day that I needed to, to get, you know, a little bit of confidence out there. And, um, you know, things got better after that. But so how, it was definitely a tough probably 20 minutes of my life. All right, Adam Angle, how quickly then did you get yourself an actual outfielder's glove? Was it like the next day where you're like, I got to get, like, I can't let this keep happening? Because there has to be a level of confidence where you're like, I know I'm better than that. Yeah, I think I was very eager to get better. And um, unfortunately, in college, you're you're on a, uh, your coaches can only spend so much time with you. Um, There's rules against, you know, practicing too much. And so I was kind of on my own time. And I quickly realized that putting in a lot of time and effort into something doesn't mean you're going to get better. Like what you need is actual coaching and then you can put the time in as well. So I got a little bit of coaching within the next few days. Like what should I actually be trying to do rather than just run underneath the ball and catch it? Yeah. Um, and that helped out a lot, you know, like, like giving me some quick pointers and then I went out and was able to, to do the drill pretty, pretty easy after that. But, um, once the outfield glove came in, I was, very thankful the drill got much easier you know and confidence just kept building from there i love that too because for all our younger listeners out there who are maybe getting a start in sports to hear somebody who plays a gold glove caliber defense in the outfield to hear that you went through the failures and that's okay you just kept working at it and to get where you are at now that's uh, just a tremendous story for everybody out there that they can maybe use in their own personal life so i do appreciate you sharing that adam i'll let you go but uh, thanks for joining us here on white sacks weekly we'll be watching and uh, go out there and uh, continue to play well we do appreciate it man thanks jeff thanks for having me on my pleasure that is white Sox outfielder 
speedster Adam Angle joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Up next, James Fegan of The Athletic. He covers the White Sox. He'll join us next right here on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight, who has the call of tonight's action of White Sox and A's at Guaranteed Rate Field coming your way. First pitch at 615, Connor and DJ on the call. Bring your family to a White Sox game starting at $70 with a family four-pack presented by ExxonMobil. You'll get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips to select games. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash four-packs. All right, so we just talked to Adam Engel there. Lots of good information from him. Very curious to hear what our next man has to say about where the White Sox are at currently as they try and chase down the Twins, who currently have a three-game lead. James Fegan covers the White Sox for The Athletic, and I would implore you that if you're a White Sox fan, you have to make sure you get a subscription to The Athletic because James has you covered on virtually everything you're going to want to know about your favorite baseball team. James, I caught your most recent article on The Athletic documenting Liam Hendricks working on his issues, uh, trying to correct the cutting movement on his fastball. What can you share with us to uh, maybe whet the appetite of some of the listeners out there who uh, do want to get a subscription to The Athletic? Well, uh, basically, you saw it a little bit in the All-Star game and certainly the last three outings since, but Liam is usually a guy who kind of throws this overpowering fastball that kind of rides up to the top of the zone and it's kind of been taking off on him and uh, you know, moving to his, his glove side and just not getting the kind of movement profile that sets everything up for him. He knows what's up with it. It's a, it's a release point thing. The Basically, the issue for why it's kind of persisting is that normally he'd go out and he'd play catch and he'd kind of correct it mechanically and, you know, just do reps and reps and reps until he trains himself to back to where he normally is. Uh, the problem is that coming off the injury, his catch play is a little bit more limited. He can't really just throw and throw and throw the way he, you know, <laughs> everyone knows what he's kind of wired to. So that's maybe why it's taking a little bit of a slower uh, process than it normally is. But, you know, Liam has kind of made these kind of adjustments, you know, time and time again throughout his career. He, he knows exactly what, what the kind of precipitating cause is. It's just, you know, it's a little bit harder to fix it and train yourself out of it than it normally might be. And this is kind of obviously a time of year where everything seems like it needs to be perfect for the White Sox to try to go on a run to arrest the slow start that they're already on. Yeah, I think a lot of White Sox fans, too, when it comes to Liam Hendricks, you know, outside of altitude sickness in Denver, they feel pretty comfortable whenever he's on the mound, even when he does have a few hiccups every now and then. But to your point there, the question is, relief, help, can they go out and get it at the deadline? Do you think that is the highest priority for the White Sox, or do you think something like a left-handed power hitter is a bigger need on the roster right now? I would say, yeah, like, fixing the offense is probably, like, the bigger, more structural need long-term. I Just in general, though, uh, those reliever trades are usually what you can do uh, at the deadline no matter what. There's probably a little bit less supply this year because of the expanded playoffs and the lack of, you know, quote-unquote true sellers or, you know, the ideal guy who's a left-handed reliever who's proven on a bad team on an expiring contract. Uh, maybe there's a little bit less of those than normally are at this time of year. But that's the sort of thing that, you know, is always getting swapped the deadline. And also, you know, even last year when their farm system was at a worse place, they had the kind of resources to afford. They were able to get, you know, Ryan Tapera, uh, who was very good for them in the final two months, you know, uh, for a kind of guy, a fifth-round pick, Bailey Horn, who had just kind of popped up and just started playing well that year. 
their farm system, I would say, has improved over last year. They got kind of got more resources to make a splash, but they could definitely afford to kind of add that if they find someone that matches up. It's just it might take, you know, the last couple of days to really get the price they want to, to really lock it in. You're already missing Ronaldo Lopez on top of this, along with Joe Kelly kind of leaving an Audi early in Colorado. So it feels like a especially train time where you really want to see someone added, you know, in the next half hour rather mm-hmm. than three days from now. But uh, it should be something they're able to add. Well, yeah, and I think uh, to that point, it begs the question: when you're 49 and 50, but you're still only three games out of the lead in your division, is it a prudent move to go out and try and add to maybe open up that window just a bit more to give yourself a possibility to get to get into the playoffs or make and make a run? Or do you personally look at the team and say, just shy of 100 games here? You know, you're a game under 500, and I don't know if I'd be giving up too much because it's just not a team that's in position to make a deep run. I think that factors into whether you're talking about the huge trade where you, uh, whether you even have the ammo for a huge trade, but when you talk about, you know, moving your top prospects in the system, when you talk about Colton Montgomery or Oscar Cola going to something, or even some of the more intriguing guys like Brian Ramos or Christian Mann. Those are maybe guys you say, like, is this the team to really launch this for? Is this the move that really, uh, you know, to burn these kind of resources? Or are these guys who maybe are going to be able to play a part of extending this contention window past 2023 and, and we don't want to burn them for something short term? I don't think necessarily adding a reliever. I, usually it's not going to be, you know, burning through guys that are taking you out of your competitive window. That's more adding kind of flyers that scouts for the, uh, the other team like and are at a lower level and, are probably a couple of years away from helping you, and there's a lot of questions about whether they ever could. That situation. I, I don't think adding a platoon bet, adding a reliever, um, makes you ask those big existential questions about uh, is this worth it? James, every every, every every inch of the playoffs is kind of precious, so I, I think you, you go for you make those small moves that your team clearly needs. James Fegan of the Athletic joining us here. He covers the White Sox on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. All right, James. So. I'm looking at the White Sox and I'm looking at the minor leagues. And I think this is, I know the, your, what your answer will probably be to this question. But just to make sure that I'm not completely surprised, I'll ask it anyway. Now, assuming he's healthy, because Oscar Colas was beamed in the helmet yesterday, assuming he's okay, any chance that he provides the left-handed power for the White Sox in September this year? I think it would be a great win for player development and great progress for Oscar to Colas and, you know, really quick acclimation in the United States if he was somebody we're talking about making his debut this time next year. I think this year is just way too fast. He's really just kind of getting his feet wet in double-A. It's, it's already been through so much and just getting over to the country in March. I, I can't see him making to the, the adjustment to major league pitching given how little stateside experience he has for a team that's trying to make the playoffs in the final two months. I, I think they'd just be asking a ton of somebody who, you know, still has is reigning in their approach, who is kind of an aggressive guy who's going to probably have to make adjustments to AAA when he starts facing guys who regularly command breaking balls and stuff like that. I, I don't think he's the type of guy you just bring up from AA and expect him to have an impact. I think there would be quite a learning curve. Maybe if you're building, you think about, you know, having three or 400 plate appearances where he struggles and kind of gets the hang of it. But for a team that's trying to win right now, I, I don't see that being the best. I agree completely with that assessment, but I know, you know, a lot of fans have been excited about how he's debuted in AA. But the reality is, I think your point, too, about not you don't want his first 
failure at any point to be at the major league level. I mean, if he forces the issue a year from now and, you know, he just doesn't fail until that point, then that's one thing. But you certainly don't want to rush him and then have him struggle at the big league level when he has been such a revelation so far this year. I think that's a great point. James Fegan of The Athletic joining us here for another couple minutes on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. All right, James. Curious to know what you think of Lucas Giolito and where he's at right now, and if you think he can get back to the pitcher that he was the last couple of years before he's struggled so much as of late. I would think so. I mean, he's not injured in some structural way that you know means he can never get back to what he was. Um, you know, he he doesn't want to use the excuse, but he hasn't really been like that same guy who is really strong at the back end of his outing from pitches 70 to, you know, 100, 110, the way he was pre-COVID. Um, correlation is not issue causation, and he, he doesn't like kind of it being cited as the reason he struggled, but, like, the level of power stuff he said, you know, quite frankly, he hasn't had it. It's clearly not there. Um, he feels like it's mechanical tweaks away. Um, he's certainly made those kind of big struggle overhauls before where, you know, given how he came back from 2018, I don't know how, how you can ever really count him out and finding top uh, top of the rotation form again. But it, it certainly has been a very long grind and, and longer than I would have thought if it's purely mechanical for him to get back to himself this season. I, I think, you know, a little bit of what he's been through physically this year and just kind of the hectic spring training and, and then having a, you know having to recover from the injury and get ramped up and then having COVID again, it seems like it's really kind of throwing him out of whack in a way that's been hard to recover. But I, I don't think he's... You know, not a good pitcher anymore. It's just certainly it's been taking too long for a team that just needs everything to kind of get right uh, as soon as possible. Lastly, James, uh, what's your thoughts on Luis Robert? I, I gave the update earlier in the show. Of course, we really don't have much of an update. We're expecting to get one more on Monday. But how are you looking at this right now for the White Sox as they uh, did not let him play last night and he's not going to play before Monday at the earliest? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, it's uh, deeply troubling. Uh, it's, he's clearly such a crucial part of them just being able to out-talent the competition. Uh, he's the, you know, the highest ceiling player in the organization, I feel, still uh, at this point. He, you know, having him kind of going near the end, uh, you know, the start of that twin series in Minneapolis was such a big part of them uh, looking good and winning those first couple of games. It's the longer he goes out, the more these kind of issues persist where he's not feeling right playing, the, the longer it's going to take to kind of get him right again. We saw that in May when he had COVID. It took like a month for his power to really come back, even while he's at 300. So it's a, it's a really worrisome thing that kind of keeps compiling the longer he's out of action. He's such an aggressive player that, you know, he really needs the time to be on point for everything to click for him and recognize off speed and, you know, make adjustments and, you know, he was sitting fastball when he got that slider that he hit for a grand slam. Those those are the type of things that when he's making that mid-air adjustment, that takes a lot of time. You know, it takes a lot of repetition for him to be in rhythm to be able to do that. So the longer he gets away from that, the harder it's going to be. That's the voice of James Fegan. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at J.R. Fegan. Get all your White Sox info there. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic for all his insightful articles. I check it out every day. James, thanks for joining us here on White Sox Weekly, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. James Fegan of The Athletic, this is White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller here on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Hey, run your socks off is back. Join us at Guaranteed Rate Field this Sunday, August 7th, for the Run Your Socks Off 5K presented by Planet Fitness. 
Racers will cross the on-field finish line and can head up to the concourse to enjoy a post-race race party, visit with vendors, enjoy the ballpark view, and more. All net proceeds will benefit White Sox charities. Learn more at whitesox.com. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight, who has the call of this evening's game as the White Sox host the Oakland Athletics at Guaranteed Right Field. Connor will be alongside Darren Jackson. First pitch coming your way at 6.15. We'll have your pregame show at 5.30. I'm Jeff Meller, and right now, though, it's an opportunity to check in with ESPN Major League Baseball insider Jesse Rogers, who is now under 72 hours away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline as it is this Tuesday at 5 o'clock Central. So, Jess, I see that the uh, left-handed bats are flying off the board fast and furiously. So are there any left for the White Sox to go out and get? I mean, there's a few left, Jeff, but I'm not sure they're going to get them. I mean, of the bigger variety of Josh Bell, who's having a good year with Washington, Ian Happ having a good one with the Cubs. It's starting to dwindle a little bit. Um, I don't think the Sox were in on David Peralta, which is exactly the kind of guy I thought they'd be interested in. Not necessarily going to take a starting spot from someone, but might be able to platoon a little bit. Maybe they are big hunt, you know, going uh, big, big hunting or whatever you want to call game it. Hunting, um, yeah. But I don't, I don't, I, yeah, game hunt, big game hunting. That's thank you. Uh, but I, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's the case here. Probably have to give up a little bit too much to get any of the couple guys I just mentioned, Bell and Hap. I've been thinking most of the time they were going to just kind of roll with the offense as is, maybe add that bench bat. But like I said, I've, I've been told they weren't even involved in David Peralta, which kind of surprised me. So I think it's going to be bullpen or bust and just roll the dice with the offense as is, unless they, they shock us all. But as I heard James Fegan mention, I, I don't think you push your chips in from a prospect um, situation this year, considering where they are. You, some fans might think you should, but I, I wouldn't do that. You, you don't have the highest ranked farm system, at least external rankings. And so the couple, three guys that, that would, would draw major interest – you know, if you want to get rid of them, you've got nothing, nothing left down there for the future. So I think it's bullpen or bust is kind of my long way of saying it. I hear you. So are there any in particular arms that you think would be a good fit for the White Sox, considering that they probably don't want to mortgage the future with the farm system actually, you know, incre- getting a little bit better incrementally here? So are there any relievers that you think would be a good fit for the White Sox at the trade deadline? Yeah, I've mentioned all week Michael Givens of the Cubs. You saw Chris Martin go today. I'm I'm, I'm glad Rick Hahn didn't jump on Chris Martin because I think he can do better. I think he wants to do better. Now, you could even go higher than Michael Givens, but it will cost you. Michael Givens would slot in perfectly for the seventh inning, kind of help out Joe Kelly there. Um, uh, Obviously, he could could also take the eighth if if Graveman's down for a game. I'm not sure really if he's suited for the ninth. Um, that's one guy from the right side. I like Matt Moore, t- Texas Rangers, from the left side, converted starter. Um, you see this a lot. Converted starters have some su- some success in the bullpen. They certainly need one from each side of the mound, a lefty and a righty. So there, there's a couple names. I actually thought it was going to be a little bit more of a seller's market with, with, um, with a lot of guys going. And, I mean, it is a seller's market. Uh, right now, we haven't seen a slew of guys go. And it, I, maybe we will Monday, Tuesday, but... Um, because of that third wild card playing off of what James said to you, it, it doesn't feel like there's as many teams involved right now in in selling, but that could change. San Francisco and Boston are on the outside kind of looking in. 
I think both are about to uh, to unload a little bit here. So add the Cubs, um, you know, the Royals a little bit. But th- that's the thing. I-, I was told by an executive yesterday, you know, okay, you got the three wild cards. So there's a lot of teams, especially in the American League, in it now. But even if you're not in it now, if you kind of like your team as it's moving forward, you might want to keep your guys for next year and, and, and push for that wild card. Like I think of the Pittsburgh Pirates, no one thinks they're ready for the wild card, but you know how it works. You can, you can make that jump um, a little bit earlier than anyone thought. So it doesn't seem like the Pirates are ready to unload. And maybe even Kansas City isn't ready to unload, even though they traded Benintendi. So um, it, it felt like there'd be a, a slew of arms going, and maybe there still will be, Jeff. But like I said, as of yesterday, an executive told me um, there aren't as many sellers as you might think. But that was yesterday. We still have time till Tuesday at 5 o'clock. ESPN MLB insider Jesse Rogers joining us here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We know one team that's a seller. They're the Cincinnati Reds. They moved Luis Castillo last night to the Seattle Mariners for a package of four prospects headlined by Noel V. Marte. So curious as to what your instant reaction was when you saw that the Mariners, not the Yankees, were the team that landed Luis Castillo, who is probably going to be the biggest pitcher moved at the deadline here. Yeah, I mean, Rodon has a chance to get moved, and, and so does Frankie Montas, but Real I'd probably take Real Castillo. interesting. Hold on, Jess. So you think Rodon, there's actually a chance? I guess he's got the opt-out, right? Well, right, and, and and that's what I'm talking about with San Francisco. They're they're on the verge, I think, of selling. I'm not, not guarantee here. It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit up in the air of the way they're playing. They're up and down, and what their calculus is. But if they sell, they absolutely will put Rodon in the market. That's That's – who they can move to get something decent back. So yes, I think um, he'll be out there if San Francisco gives in the, you know, waves the white flag along with Frankie Montas. But I would take Castillo over both those guys. He's been amazing this year. He's got this great changeup, and this year his four seam fastball has been even better. That combo works. I love the fact that Seattle jumped at it. Um, you could say the Yankees need him more for October. There's no doubt about it. But Seattle needs him now and for October and for next year. I mean, the Yankees are going to be fine next year. Seattle has a young pitching staff. They only they have a wild card spot right now, but it's not guaranteed. So for a bunch of reasons, they haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. I like sort of that desperation move, if that's what you want to call it, giving up three really good prospects um, to get him, and you get him for next year as well. They beat the big boys, let's face it. They beat, they beat the Yankees. They beat maybe the Dodgers are involved. They're always involved, although they don't really need starting pitching. So Seattle goes out and beat the big boys to Castillo. I love the trade for them. Um, might lock in a wild card spot for them, and maybe they can be dangerous with Robbie Ray and Castillo at the top of the order come the uh, top of the rotation come October. So love the move for them. It, it makes the playoffs a little bit more interesting if Seattle gets in. No no doubt about it. Completely agree. And it's not just – I mean, Ray's been a little bit inconsistent this year. Last night he wasn't that good. But, of course, he's had moments where he's been absolutely great. Last year's Cy Young Award winner, right? He, he Yep. Yeah, he won. So uh, he was awesome last year. If he gets back to that, you pair him with Castillo. And don't forget Logan Gilbert, another yes. good young pitcher. That's, that's a, th- a trio that most teams do not want to see in the playoffs if they get there. So, yeah, I'm with you all the way. It is interesting to see the Mariners go out and be the, the Yankees at the deadline there. Also curious, um, since you mentioned the Yankees, I, I, every time I see it, I have to stop. Like, how stupefying is what Aaron Judge is doing right now? Every single time I glance at my phone, I've got some update about him hitting a homer, robbing a homer. He's at 42 right now, Jess. Is it just ridiculous or what? 
It is. And, and Stanton's out of the lineup, so there's a little less protection for him. I'm surprised he's just not walking left and right because his plate coverage right now is ungodly. There is just not a pitch you can throw over the plate that's for a strike or close to a strike that he isn't hitting out. Uh, I know the Yankees have a deep lineup, but I would I would be pitching around him as much as possible. That, that, that bat looks like a toothpick in his hand. And uh, play coverage is the phrase that I think of when I when I see him hitting. There's just no no weakness right now. You can't go in. You can't go. You certainly can't go out. Um, extending his arms, he's, he's going to destroy the ball. So you got to start pitching around a little bit more, especially with Stanton out. So little little surprise that that um, that that hasn't happened more. But yes, this is one of those runs. Um, and you know, sometimes you think, oh, okay, All Star Brank's going to cool a guy off. That's not the case for Aaron Judge. No doubt about it. And you know what's interesting is he had the opportunity to sign a long term deal at the beginning of the season, but he said, no, I can get more if I hit free agency. I can command more. I'm going to bet on myself, and it is absolutely paying off. Now I know you're knee deep in trade speculation and talk and rumors with agents. Has there been any whispers about what Aaron Judge might command on the open market if uh, after the end of this offseason? Well, it's in that three, you know, three yeah. plus three hundred plus million range for sure now, right? If there was any doubt before, it, it's in that range. So I still think he resigns with the Yankees. He's kind of the face of the team. He's the production's there. Like that power now that he's figured things out completely. Okay, he's not going to hit sixty every year, but he might hit forty for the next decade or half a decade, whatever it is. So I think he stays and it's 300 plus million. Um, I'm not sure he's a $400 million guy at this point, but, but yeah, that, that's, that's the type of number he's going to get for sure. How about the man who 400 wasn't enough for Juan yeah. Soto? He's dominated the trade conversations. What's the latest? Do you think the Padres Cardinals, is there another team that's being talked about as a possibility for Juan Soto? Yeah, I think the Dodgers are, are again, laying in the weeds. They, 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 are always in on the big names, right? They have the, the, the capital to do it, the major league talent and the farm system t- to pull it off. Um, so, yes, I think the Dodgers are, are right there waiting, waiting, waiting. I think they're all waiting for the price to come down a little bit. I think if it doesn't come down, from what I understand, then 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 he won't be traded. He won't be traded. So Mike Rizzo might be just throwing some uh, a, a line in the water to see if he can get an unbelievable package back, and if he can't, They'll go to the winter meetings and open it up to everybody um, a little bit more than, than now, which is, you know, to get this done in two weeks is pretty, pretty amazing if they do make a deal. Um, you know, St. Louis has the farm system and the major league talent. That's why they're involved as well. Padres are really aggressive on everyone, and that seems to be the holdup here. Um, once a decision's made on Soto, then things will start to open up. For example, with San Diego or St. Louis, for that matter, if they trade for Soto, they're done trading. That's it. But if they don't trade for Soto, those teams will be very much involved, especially San Diego. They're looking for a catcher, an outfielder, uh, some pitching. But if they trade for Soto, that's it. Their farm system's done. It's kind of the same with St. Louis. I, I don't know if he's going to go to St. Louis. In fact, as great as he is, St. Louis needs pitching. I mean, I, I'd almost be surprised if St. Louis didn't get Frankie Montas or possibly Rodon if he's on the market. The Yankees will probably get one of them as well. Um, I don't think the Cardinals can go far without a pitcher. And, they, I mean, they traded for John Lester and J.A. Happ last year, so they're going to do something, but they need to do better than that because Flaherty's been down and, um, you know, Wainwright's 40 years old. Like, is he your number one in the in October? Maybe Michelos, you know. So I, I think St. Louis needs are on the mound more. That's why I still think, part of me, Mike Rizzo's going to take this to the winter meetings when 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 teams don't have to worry about July needs, right? They can just – 
unload whatever they have to to get Juan Soto. But I don't know if St. Louis can do it and still compete without adding pitching. And, um, you know, San Diego probably could compete with Soto, Tatis, Machado, whoever else is on the roster, okay, whatever. So it, I think that's the holdup. I think that um, you're going to see a lot of movement once there's a decision on Soto, and I'm not sure when exactly that's going to be. But I do know the price is really high, and everyone's waiting for it to come down. Same thing with Wilson Contreras, waiting for it to come down. Same with Ian Happ. So a lot of this stuff will get done between Monday and Tuesday. Jesse Rogers joining us for another moment here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Miller. This is ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Jess, you mentioned Adam Wainwright right there, so I'm going to share with you this nugget, which just made me laugh out loud. The other day, he uh, pitched a couple nights ago, Adam Wainwright did for the Cardinals. He struck out Kavan Biggio twice. <laughs> 5,928 days before that, he struck out Kavan Biggio's father, Craig. So... That, to me, is hilarious, the fact that Adam Wainwright is still getting it done these days. But, yes, the Cardinals probably need a little bit more help than just Adam Wainwright and his old arm if they're going to make any type of real run in the playoffs. Um, All right, Jess, on the other side of town, looks like the Cubs are going to be selling off yet again. What what does it look like? Wilson Contreras, uh, where's his next uh, home going to be? Yeah, I think it's San Diego, Tampa Bay, um, Houston, Mets and uh, that last one is probably the first one. Um, let's say the Padres don't get Soto. I think it's the Mets or the Padres for Wilson Contreras. Um, and and the reports you've heard are true. There's packages being thrown around. I mean, if the Padres don't get Soto, they may end up with like three Cubs. They could end up with Hap, Robertson, Contreras, any any combination. Um, Michael Givens, Mets, Mets, same thing. Robertson, Contreras. Um, I put my money on the Mets because it's Steve Cohn. He, he probably wants to push all in. But the Padres farm system is still really good. Uh, A.J. Preller has done a good job of not giving up his top guys these last few years. So take Soto out of the mix. Um, I think I think Contreras is either a Met or a Padre. I think Hap is either a, a, a Blue Jay, a Padre, um, who else? Oh, or a Brave. The Braves are involved in Ian Hap as well. So um, it, it all depends on, on, on what – San Diego seems to be – holding a lot of the keys here to this thing because they're in on Soto and they're in on a lot of other people where I don't think the Mets are in on Soto. Um, you know, I don't think Toronto's in on Soto necessarily, but there, there always could be a mystery team. So it, it is a little bit of a waiting game, but um, you know, the market isn't huge for Wilson Contreras because he is a catcher, but, but there's enough teams, you know, you only need two, you only need two to, to, to get a good deal. If you can get three involved and can really get a good prospect back. So that's kind of what's going on with him. Great stuff, Jess. We'll be listening uh, all week long on ESP 1000, especially come Tuesday when the trade deadline hits uh, just under 72 hours from now. Thanks for hopping on White Sox Weekly with me. Appreciate it, man. You, you got it, Jeff. Take care, man. That is Jesse Rogers, again, ESPN Major League Baseball Insider. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. Uh, a few more minutes to go as we get ready for your pregame coverage of the White Sox and A's coming your way. Pregame starts at 530. First pitch, 615. Connor McKnight. And Darren Jackson on the call. Spend your summer at the ballpark with Miller Lite bleachers and brews. Get one ticket and two bears starting at $27. Must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash brew. All right, up next, I have a White Sox lineup for you and a pretty cool pregame ceremony that you're, wanna, you're going to want to know about if you're on your way to the game may want to hurry up and make sure you're in your seats early. I'll tell you about that coming up next on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
Closing things up here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson will have the call of tonight's game at Guaranteed Rate Field coming your way at 6.15 first pitch. Pre-game starts at 5.30. Don't miss your chance to see a world-renowned EDM artist Cascade perform at Guaranteed Rate Field next Friday, August 12th. The seven-time Grammy nominee and Chicago native will play a post-game concert sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka after the White Sox face the Detroit Tigers at 6.10 that night. For more information and to purchase your tickets, visit whitesox.com slash concert. All right, I mentioned before we went to break here that uh, pretty cool pregame festivities tonight before first pitch. Coming your way, the White Sox will be honoring Minnie Minoso's Hall of Fame induction with a celebration tonight. Minnie Minoso's family is going to be welcomed for a pregame ceremony. Fans get a chance to see Minnie Minoso's Hall of Fame plaque and have some photo opportunities in the exclusive replica and an exclusive replica giveaway. So that's pretty cool. If you're out heading out to tonight's game, make sure you get into the ballpark early so that you can check this out and maybe even go out and take a picture with the Minnie Minosa replica Hall of Fame plaque presented by Rush. Of course, fans are encouraged to be in their seats at least 30 minutes prior to first pitch for this pregame ceremony honoring Mr. White Sox and the Minoso family, including his wife of 30 years, Sharon, son Charlie, and daughters Marilyn and Cecilia. A family member will also throw out the ceremonial first pitch tonight. For those who may not be aware, Minoso was a seven-time Major League Baseball All-Star, two-time Negro Leagues All-Star who broke the organization's color barrier as the first black Hispanic player in 1951, was born in La Habana, Cuba. He is considered a trailblazer among Afro-Latinos. So a pretty cool opportunity to check that out tonight before the first pitch of White Sox and Athletics, which again will be coming your way at 6.15 right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller. I'll have your pregame coverage before Connor and DJ take over with the first pitch. And we may actually have a little bit of news regarding Tim Anderson's suspension as well. Sox fans, have you checked out the White Sox podcast, Sox Degrees? They've got great guests all season long, some close to the team and some six degrees away. New episodes drop every other Monday. To listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks to my man, Eric Ostrowski and Charlie Bevins. Pre-game coverage coming your way next here on ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.